Our reading for the second week at Advent is out of Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. So join me, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, because we're in our second week of Advent, and um, this year what we're doing in Advent is we're taking traditional hymns from this Christmas season and we're uh, marrying them to Scripture. We're trying to learn from our tradition and from those that have gone before us how they celebrated this season to kind of awaken our own heart. And last year, we, or last week, we talked about... Uh, that the first step of Advent is being uh, willing like Mary to embrace trouble and also be able to embrace promise at the same time, that we embrace the trouble of our own hearts in the world that we live in and also embrace the promise of the coming of Christ. And this week, we are going to be talking about um, the hymn and the scripture in Luke, um, O Come All Ye Faithful. You know this song? You know, O Come All Ye Faithful. We'll sing it later. Joyful and triumphant, O come all ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him, let us adore him, let us adore him, Christ the king. That this is a hymn that invites us during this Advent season to worship. That Advent, this sense that he is coming, inspires us to worship. And so let's talk about this this morning. Like when I say the word worship, what do you think about? Like, some of you may think about music or some of you may be thinking about, you know, people that run around with their hands in the air or people are, are like you go to church and or you're going to worship. Where are you going? We're going to worship this morning, you know. Is that what worship is? Well, let's have a fun little experiment. Will you uh, have some fun with me? I mean, you did peace like a river. Come on, you can do this. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to cover uh, or close one of your eyes. If you can't close one eye, cover one of your eyes. And uh, then I want you with the eye that is open, I want you to look at your nose. Okay, can you see your nose? All right, now, now I want you to look back up here with me and see if you can see me without seeing your nose. Can you do it? Like that nose is like right there. Now cover your other eye and do the same thing and you'll realize that you can actually see your nose with both of your eyes. In fact, believe it or not, you see your nose all the time. Every time you're looking somewhere, your nose is right there. But scientists say that what our brain does it, is it actually edits out our nose so that when we're actually looking, 
even though our nose is in our vision, we're not actually seeing it because our brain is saying, don't register it. And what if that's what worship is? That worship is your nose. Let's close in prayer, shall we? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> like, what if, what, if, what if worship is always there? What if we've been so conditioned to think of worship as something I do on Sunday morning when I go to church or some kind of chapel or when I turn to some dial on the radio station or I see somebody doing something that's, that's praising to the Lord and I've put worship in that category and I've missed the fact that actually worship isn't just something I do, it's something that I do all the time. What if worship is something that you do 24-7. In fact, what if you were made in the image of God and in that image, you're like a worshiping machine? And what I'm gonna talk to you about today is not to try to get you to worship more because you already worship 24-7. Every waking hour, there is worship. I'm trying to get you to ask yourself the question, what are you worshiping and what does it do into your life? See, worship is our life's response to what we value most. Because worship means that something is worthy. It's, it's worth. And every one of you in your life, you have things that you've chosen for yourself that you've said, that's worth. That's worth you. That's worth your time. That's worth you. I mean, let's do a little test. If you want to know what you have found worthy of worship in your life or the things in your life that you actually give your worship to or you give your worth to, because you all have worth, Let's well, just a little test. What do you give your time to? What do you give your affection to? What do you give your energy to? Here's a good one. What do you give money to? If you want a really easy test, what do you give money to without ever thinking about it or you do it effortlessly? What do you give your loyalty to? Because whatever you give those things to, if you'll just follow that trail down the road, you will find in your life this throne and sitting on that throne is what you worship. It's what you give your energy, your time, your affection, your money. Actually, you give your life to it and you can't help but do it. It's like the nose on your face. Your life gives worth to something. And here's the killer thing. Here's the kicker. What you worship what you worship most is what you give your life to. And what you give your life to defines who you are. See, worship isn't about going to church. Worship is the essence of who you are. So let's go a little deeper. So um, what wows you? Like, what awes you? What do you believe is worth of your life? Here are some examples of some things that maybe you worship, maybe uh, and we all, to some degree, worship all these things. But think about, like, relationships. Maybe it's that special person in your life. Or maybe uh, it's that person that you're obsessed with. Or maybe it's that person that you don't have a good relationship with your life, but you, you worship that. You worship the conflict. You worship the hardness of it. Or maybe it's, somebody, it's for some of you, maybe it's success. You worship success or some of you may worship pain-free living. Like, do you know how to live pain-free? I mean, it is a life of massive distraction. 
It could be a life of addiction, but that's what you worship, is having a life that has no pain in it whatsoever. And when pain comes in, you immediately start asking yourself this question, what's wrong with my life? Some of you worship how you look. Some of you worship power. Some of you worship entertainment. Some of you have actually found the end of Netflix. What's it like there? Like, what is that place? Is it like angels? You know, just, you have entered the place. Some of you worship fun and adventure. That that's what you want your whole life to be, is one long, great adventure. Some of you worship food. Yes. And see, Jesus didn't come to try to make you a better person. I want you to know that. Jesus didn't come to kick you in the pants and go, what's wrong with you? Why can't you start worshiping the right things? And I'm not trying to get you to a place to where it shames everything in your life. I think what Jesus is trying to say is that when we put worship in the right place and Jesus has rescued us from least or less worshipers to the best worship, it rescues me into these things. So when my worship is in the right place, I take that into relationships and make them better. When my worship is in the right place, it takes me into success. And now success is a blessing to my community. It's a blessing to my family. It's, it's something that we can all celebrate in. When I worship in the right place, I actually know how to deal with pain now. And I'll actually know how to, how to enjoy when life is not painful. When I worship in the right place, it helps me have new perspectives on the way I look. And everyone in this room cares about the way you look. You do. I can see it. You're looking good this morning. Let me just affirm you. And when I worship in the right place, that doesn't have power over me, but it has power through it. And the same with power and entertainment and fun and adventure and food. When I worship the wrong things, what happens is I begin to demonize what I idolize. When I've put something in my life that I worship, that I have got to come to this place to have full life, what I idolize, I eventually demonize. I'll give you an example. Um, So Justin Bieber, big fan. Uh, what? <laughs> He's got a new song out. Have you heard it, Lonely? Have you heard this song, Lonely? Uh, you've not heard this song? It's sad. He, he sang it on Saturday Night Live like a month or so ago. Or no, was it last year? I can't remember. It's all a blur now. <laughs> I don't have COVID, all right? Listen to the words of this song. And you know what's going to be shocking is not the song that I'm about to read to you. I was about to say I'm about to sing it to you. No, I won't. Uh, What should be shocking to you is how unshocking this is. Because this is not a song about loneliness. This is a song about his loneliness. And we all know this guy, he's at the top of the game. I mean, you know, it's not like he's hurting when it comes to looks or gifts or talents or money or access or fame. Like, he, he got a big old wheelbarrow of all that stuff that when you get it, you go, wow, Whatever the world standard is, he's winning the game to some degree, right? And he wrote this song about himself, and he says, everybody knows my name now. But something about it is still feels strange. Like looking in a mirror, trying to steady yourself, and seeing somebody else. And everything is not the same now. It feels like all our lives have changed. Maybe when I'm older, it'll all calm down. But it's killing me now. What if you had it all, but nobody to call? Maybe then you'd know me because I've had everything, but no one's listening. And that's why I'm lonely. 
I'm just so lonely. That's his song. Like, he's making millions off of that song. And none of us are shocked that he's singing that song. Because it's not hard for us to unmask all the things that we worship that are not worthy of our worship. And we look at Justin and we go, oh, that's so sad. But I'm asking you to look at your life this morning. And look at your life and ask yourself the hard question, what am I worshiping? So let's go to Luke chapter 2, because there is a little-known character in the Christmas story that we're going to look at her and hopefully get like two things out of it, and then we're going we're gonna to worship, okay? We're going to worship through song. And this is the story of this woman named Anna. Uh, she's a prophetess, and we can talk about that another time, but the fact that Scripture uh, calls her a prophet is significant. But in chapter 2, verse 36 of Luke, it says, Therefore, uh, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. <laughs> like, if you were ever put in the Bible, like, is that the first thing you would want them to describe about you? You were very old. In fact, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Okay, so let's stop and do the math just for a second. Because... Uh, there's different ways to interpret that passage from the original language. It could be that she's 84. Uh, but most scholars would say, no, it, she's been 84 years a widow. So if she got married, let's say she got married at 15, and then she was married for seven years, and then she was 84 years a widow. She's old. Like, we're talking over 100 years old. So this picture in Scripture is this woman, whatever we're about to hear about her, she's done it for a long time. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, and them is uh, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have this picture that at the birth of Christ, uh, there's this worshiping woman. She's a juggernaut of worship. Her entire life is about worshiping, about being in the presence of God, constantly giving him honor. But that's not strange because the whole story of the birth of Christ is, can you name who worshiped at the birth of Christ? I mean, it started with a bunch of angels and then it was shepherds and then there were wise men and then there was that drummer boy, right? No, he's, he's not in Scripture. <laughs> Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, there was Santa Claus. They're all there worshiping. She was fasting, praying, and worshiping God. And, and I want to pause because I'm, I'm just going to say two things very quick and then I'll be done. Is that uh, Scripture's not saying this is prescriptive, meaning your life should be like hers, that you should quit your job and move into this chapel. We don't want you moving into this chapel, okay? Thank you very much. It's, it's giving a description of one woman's life. And this description is to help us understand something. Um, it's, to, it's to encourage us and challenge us that what was extraordinary in her life ought to be ordinary in our lives. In other words, that we, as worshipers, a part of us learning how to be the worshipers God made us to be, we should be practicing worship in our private lives. You should be making room in your life to worship the Lord in song, 
You should be worshiping him on your own privately in prayer. You should be learning about listening prayers and praying the Psalms and and learning how to meditate with the Lord. I mean, Psalm 1 talks about that we should be meditators. These are the things of our lives. We should be people that worship God by studying Scripture and applying our lives to the truth of his word and saying, Lord, I'm going to listen and I'm going to follow where you're going. But let's understand something about worship. Worship is not your gift to God. It's not. Maybe you've been to church before and they believed if we worship with a lot of fervency, and if we prayed a lot, then we could awaken God from his slumber and he would rise up from these concrete floors and he would show up and do something spectacular. That worship was kind of our way of awakening the heavens. And if we could just awaken the heavens and somehow or another, our worship would become some kind of spiritual currency. And if you worship God a lot, a lot, a lot, then he's going to be for you and he's going to answer your prayers. and He's going to do spectacular stuff for you. It kind of makes God out to be this like egomaniac. Like God is in heaven going, man, if I could just get a lot of people to worship me, then I could actually get something done. Or if the whole earth worshiped me, then maybe, just maybe, then I would be awakened to do something. Well, first of all, let me just make something really clear. God does not need your worship. He doesn't. God does not need your worship at all. In fact, God is completely content. Could you imagine serving a God that's needy and can't get what he wants? That's not our God. Our God is completely content. And actually, our God is completely content in his joyfulness. And he is satisfied. Our God is satisfied. And our worship doesn't add to his satisfaction as if it's lacking. In fact, our worship doesn't add anything to God. Our worship adds to us. And what I mean by that is worship is always a response Worship, our worship, our life is worship is always to a response to something outside of us. We were in the mall the other day, the Green Hills Mall, and have y'all been there lately? It's corona's everywhere. Uh, it just walks around. It's gross. And, uh, but in the middle of the wall, you know how sometimes they park cars in the middle of the mall, and they've got the, uh, the Karma Rivero? I never even knew that car existed until we were walking down the mall, and I see it, and the first thing out of my mouth is, oh, Why? Because it's awe-inspiring. And what is awe? Worship. It immediately triggered something to me when I look at the price tag. And I'm like, oh, $160,000. Oh, wow. I'll never own that car. It's amazing. Who would own this car? Does anybody in this room own that car? Please, somebody raise your hand. Because I just want to borrow it for an afternoon. I see one. Yes, the buses will wait. Keep that hand in the air, brother. But it's what we do. It's when, when we something that, see something that's awe-inspiring, what it does is it, it draws worship out of us. It draws worthiness out of us. Like, I love the beach. Like, for me, it's my happy place. And I really believe that Jesus lives at the beach. He does. He, he, thank you, sister. And there's nothing like, you know, in the middle of winter, like today, like, like being cold and then putting your feet in warm sand And what adds to it is the end of the day when you see the sun going down and you see it start to kiss the ocean and what comes out of your mouth is, wow, because it inspires awe. That that worship is always a response. And what we're saying today during this Advent season is, what are you listening to that you're responding to? Because when I make time in private worship, what I'm doing is I'm tuning my heart, I'm listening to the one that is speaking to me. But if I never stop, I never hear. 
And let me tell you what he's speaking. He's actually saying in 1 John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, because that is what you are. Like, listen to this. For me to camp out in, in that word, he didn't have to put lavished in there. He put that word in there. Why? Because it is like being under a waterfall. And when I'm so busy with my life and I never stop to respond to what is happening inside my soul, then how do I ever worship? See, the chief of end of man is to glorify God. And we glorify God by enjoying him forever. And how do I enjoy him? This is so selfish and it's so beautiful. I enjoy him by stepping into the waterfall of his love and letting him love me. In fact, this is the simplest definition I can give you of worship. Worship is my response to the song of heaven that is being sung over me. In Zephaniah chapter 3, he's talking this prophecy, and he's talking to Israel. And remember, as when Christ came and died on the cross and redeemed us, he made us the new Israel. So the promises that were for Jerusalem and Israel in the Old Testament are true for us as his people. And so he says, do not fear Zion, that's us, and do not let your hands hang limp. You get this picture of just discouragement. He says, the Lord your God is with you. Here's here's how he's trying to beat our discouragement back and fill us with awe. This is Zephaniah 3.16. The Lord your God is with you. He's the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you that God is delighting in you. And then it says, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I just want to tell you that the beautiful story of what Christ came to do when when he went to the cross for me and took all my sins away and then rose again from the dead so that I could rise to newness of life is that he never asked anything from me that he doesn't fill my pockets with first. And what does he ask me to do when he says, I rejoice over you with singing? Worship is me hearing the song that is being sung over me, that I am loved by my father and I'm his kid. And he's simply saying, join in on the song. Join in. I'm simply responding. And that's how much Jesus loves you. That's what Advent is about. That God was not content to be separated from you. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus, being in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Meaning Jesus didn't stay in his safe position, but rather he made himself nothing. He became a child born into poverty. To take the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross for you for you. See, if you have a hard time worshiping, you don't have a worship problem. You're a perfect worshiper. You worship all the time. You got all the guns to worship. If you're not worshiping the Lord, you don't have a worship problem. You have an affection problem. What I mean is, is there is something between you and the Lord to where you're saying, no, thank you. I can just illustrate it by one way. Have you seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You remember? Yes, of course you've seen that cartoon. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. It's right near the end of Netflix, all right? It's close to the border. And you remember when all the young reindeer were in flying school? 
and they're all trying to, huh, you know, and they just, they just jump, where to go, Comet? You know, just a couple of steps. And then Rudolph's girlfriend comes up, and what does she do? Do you remember? She kisses him. And he starts to fly. His nose begins to light up, and he's going, she likes me. She likes me. I think that's how it happened. Because that's what love does. Even a cartoon shows us. If your worship is in the wrong place, it's because your affection, your identity, and your value has been misplaced. So let me wrap up with this, because when I joined the heavenly song, I also what, what was done in private now goes public. And Anna, let's go back to her. She was coming up to Jesus, coming up to Joseph and Mary, and at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I began to realize that all my life is worship, my work, my play, my grief, my boredom, my relationships, my struggle. Everything in my public life is flowing out of my private life where I'm privately being hugged, loved, and rejoiced over by my Father. It's changing who I am. And I don't go into the world looking for love. I go into the world as one who is deeply loved. I don't go looking for hope. I go into the world as one who has profound hope. I don't go looking for value. I'm somebody who has left that private place and know I'm extremely valued and I bring value into the world. And I don't go looking for some kind of identity out there. I go into the world as one who knows who they are. And I don't go looking for something. I realize because of that kind of love that's being lavished on me, I am something. A worship allows me to know him. But guys, here's the kicker. Worship allows you to know you. And when you don't know you, you cheat us because we need you. But when you know you, you bring something to us that we don't have without you. And it builds community. So talking about the beach, this was about a year ago. I was at the beach. Such fond memories. And uh, I'd gotten up really early and the sun was coming up and I walked down to a coffee shop and I'm waiting. Have you ever waited at a door for them to unlock the door? You know, it's so sad, isn't it? You know, please give me coffee, sir. Um, and this girl comes and opens the door and I walk in and she's smiling. I mean, she's just, it's got this beautiful smile and she's like, good morning. And I had my mask on and I, I guess it wasn't a year ago. This is back in the spring. And I had my sunglasses on and my baseball cap on. So you couldn't see, I looked like a bank robber. And uh, I'm walking in and she gets behind the counter and she looks at me and she goes, I think I know you. And I'm like, how could you know me? You can't see anything. She goes, take off your glasses. And I took them off and she goes, you look so familiar. She goes, who are you? And I was like, well, who are you? Like, and I said, wait a minute, before I answer that question, your accent, where are you from? She goes, I'm from Ethiopia. And I said, okay, forget me, I'm not interesting. Let's talk about you. I said. So tell me, what journey have you taken that brought you to this coffee shop this morning to pour me a cup of coffee? And I'm telling you, her smile didn't drop for a second. She goes, oh, it is a long, winding, and often painful story that has brought me here. And I, I realize as she's talking about that, that she's probably experienced tremendous loss, unbelievable change. Her life probably isn't turning out like he, she anticipated. And side note, 
this is a footnote, your life will not turn out like you anticipate. I promise you. I, I just promise you right now, if you're young, I'm sorry. Bust the bubble. Justin Bieber, go read his song. You know, if you're old, you know what I'm talking about. But that's not our place of discouragement. That's our place of hope. And she's telling me some of her story. And I look at her and I go, wow, you, you're so happy this morning. And it's so early. How is that even possible? And I swear to you, this is not a fake sermon illustration. She looks at me with that big smile and she goes, because I belong to him. And I didn't want, to get, I didn't want her to get away with that. I said, who's him? And she said, I belong to Jesus. And so let me ask you a question. Was that worship? Was her pouring me coffee now worship? Was her turning to me and saying, I hope you have a good day? Was that worship? Of course it was. But it flew, it flew out of something much deeper, didn't it? And that's what Advent does. Advent says to us, will you pause? Will you pause and hold on to trouble and also promise? And in the middle of that, will you find space in your life to worship? Will you make this Advent season a time where you actually practice that? Like in your mind right now, would you ask yourself when you're going to do that? When, it, when are you going to and find that you don't know what to do? That's awesome. That's so awesome. Will you allow yourself to be in awe of his love for you? Like, just go to 1 John chapter 3 and just meditate on that and ask yourself, what does it mean to believe that? Will you make time for that? And then will you watch it spill into your Christmas season? Midtown, oh, come all you faithful, joyful and tri triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him, let us adore him, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Lord, we just pause now and tell you how dry and thirsty our hearts are. We have scrambled so much in our life to belong, to be loved, for this life to work, for us to get what we think we need, our fair share, to be painless, to be seen, to be admired, to actually win or to be enough, to have enough, to be enough. And we just turn to you and ask that you would lavish your love on us. Lavish the story that our Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross to call us children, that he rose from the dead to call us fully alive. And now we pray, Lord, our, our worshiping hearts would be turned toward you, even if just for a moment, that it would lose its grip on all those other things we worship all the time and actually find life here. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.